Well, welcome back to the second week in our two-week series called Words We Need to Change. And the whole reason we're doing this series is because the words we use end up shaping the world we see. The words that we use and our habitual thoughts and thought patterns end up becoming narratives that shape the way that we see the world. And not only do the words we use shape the world we see, but the words we use about ourselves will shape the way that we see ourselves for better or for worse. And what we recognize is that there are a lot of words that we use and we don't mean for them to, we don't intend for them to, it's not our goal for these words to do this, but there are a lot of words that we just end up using habitually in our thoughts and our thought patterns that end up limiting us and preventing us from becoming the people that deep down we really want to become and that prevent us from experiencing the life that we ultimately want to experience. And so there are words we need to change. And there are certain things, there are certain things, uh, scenarios, things that we face, things we confront, things that all of us confront that, that we face that tend to trigger some of these words that we need to change. And one of those things is this, it's failure. You know? Some of you maybe are in the, the failure club, maybe there was something that you failed at one time, that thing that you thought that you could do and you told everybody you were going to do it and it ended up finding out that you couldn't do it like when you know the car needed to be repaired and you're like honey I got this right and you were gonna fix it yourself because you knew how to do this and five hours later you're looking for the triple a card right because you have a box of parts that don't go together the same way that they came apart now the car needs to get towed to a real mechanic right there are things that we fail and people see it and that doesn't feel good most of the time, right? There was that uh, resolution that you made, you know, back at the beginning of the year that you were so proud of and so confident of that you, you know, bragged to all your friends about this change that you were going to make this year and now it's February and you haven't stopped doing it because you never started it, right? You just never got around to doing it. Or when you told your growth group, I'm going to spend a year reading through the whole Bible and your bookmark still in Leviticus a year later, right? Those things that you said or you thought that you could do that you ended up not being able to do. We've been there. We all know this. We've done that. But what do you tell yourself? What is the story? What are the narratives that you tell yourself when you confront failure? Or how about this? Criticism. Criticism. And not just like that slighting, hurtful comment that somebody makes in passing, but like real good, hardcore feedback or criticism about something that you put your whole self into. Maybe it was that presentation that you did at work and you just thought that you killed it. And you're like fist pumping. You're like, yes. And you, you go to your, you know, the guys that you work with and you're like, what do you guys think of that? And they're like, well, what did you think of it? And you're like, well, I thought it was awesome. What did you think? And they're like, we thought it was really arrogant and pretentious and you sidestepped a lot of difficult questions and you're like I want to go back to what I thought about it because I liked what I thought about it and just a pro tip anytime you ask someone for feedback about something that you did and their response is what did you think of it that's an indicator that they don't have anything good to say about what you did, okay? So unless you're like prepared to get some hard feedback, just stick with what you thought about it, okay? But we've gotten this, like we've all gotten the criticism about that presentation or that thing that we put ourselves into, that dinner you made, that date you planned, whatever it was, we've gotten the criticism. But what do you tell yourself? What's the narrative that you tell yourself when you get that criticism? Or how about this? Our struggles, the things that we struggle with, and not just the things that we struggle with in general, but those things that you struggle to do 
but everybody around you just seems to do it naturally and effortlessly, right? You know, those friends that you have and you all decide that you're going to go get in shape and you've worked at it and worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And then your friend, like they walk past a gym, just walk they don't even go inside. They walk past a gym and like six pack abs. Like they don't even do anything and they get in shape. Like what's up with that? Those friends who just seem like, like discipline comes so easily, easily to them or like managing their finances just seems so easy to them or like having kids that say please and thank you just seems so easy for them. Like what's up with that? We've faced that. But what are the narratives that we tell ourselves? When we struggle at things, it just comes so easily to other people. And here's the really interesting thing. There are people out there, there are people out there who actually don't like these things. Like they're really uncomfortable with failure, criticism, and struggle. I know, it's hard to believe, right? Not us. We're just, we're so humble. Like it doesn't bother us. But there are people out here who don't like this. And I want to give you some insight into those people. So if you ever come across them at some point, you can be a little bit more compassionate towards them. And then the reason that I have this insight is because honestly, I'm one of those people who doesn't really like those things. They're a little bit uncomfortable for me. And if they're uncomfortable for you too, then maybe this will be helpful to you and put some words to things that you've been thinking about yourself. The reason those things are uncomfortable is because the truth is, whether we want to admit it or acknowledge it or not, we are all wired, created for, we're all seeking acceptance. Deep down, we all crave acceptance. And it doesn't matter what you believe about where we came from, whether you believe we came from God or natural processes or anything, because the data's in that we are neurologically hardwired to seek and pursue acceptance. And here's what that looks like, that, that we have some kind of standard in mind that we believe if we can live up to that standard, that makes us acceptable. And so acceptance becomes some kind of standard that we're living for, whether we created that standard and we impose it on ourselves, or we believe other people have, our parents or our friends or our family or just society in general, there's some kind of standard that we have to live up to. And in order to live for acceptance, what we do is we promote the things about us that tend to make us look good. We we try to excuse and hide and ignore and cover over the things that tend to make us look bad. We're living for acceptance. And when we're living for acceptance, these things feel like a threat to what we believe makes us feel acceptable. So here's what we do. When we face failure, criticism, and struggle, what we tend to do is we say, well, well I can't do that. You know, I can't do that. Or, or I, I don't do that. Or I'm not the kind of person who, when there's something that we thought that we were supposed to do in order to be acceptable and we failed to do it, we say, well, I, well, I just can't do that. And we do that to self-protect because we feel like if I can't do that or if I'm not the kind of person who can do that, then you can't hold me to that standard. It's an unfair standard for me because I can't and I don't and I'm not. You know, I know I lost my temper, but you can't hold that against me because you know, I'm just not a patient person. You know that about me. So that's an unfair standard. I know that I'm bitter about this. I get that. But what you have to understand is that I'm just not a forgiving person. So you, you can't hold that standard. You can't hold me to that standard because I'm just not a forgiving person. I'm just not a disciplined person. You know that I'm impulsive. I'm just not a disciplined person. I just, I just can't. I just, I just don't forgive. I just can't. I, I'm, not a, I'm not an exercise kind.
kind of person. I'm not a people kind of person. I'm not a whatever kind of person. I can't. I don't. And I'm not. And what happens is these words that we use to self-protect and to get ourselves off the hook of a standard that we don't feel like we can live up to, these words that we use to self-protect, they end up becoming a narrative that defines our reality. They end up creating a narrative that defines how we actually see ourselves. And eventually, eventually, we start to actually believe that we can't and we don't and we're not. We start to believe that there are parts of us that can't change. There are parts of us that are just fixed and stuck, that no matter what we do, we can't change them. And the result is those I can'ts and those I don'ts and those I'm nots, they become the narrative that defines who we are and creates a lid on our potential and our ability to change. And I wonder what we might be missing out on, what you might be missing out on, what I might be missing out on because of these narratives that we've told ourselves about I'm not and I can't and I don't. You know, who's the person that you could be or the life you could be experiencing if it weren't for these narratives? Or what are the people around you missing out on? Who is the person that the people around you are missing out on because you've created these narratives around I don't and I can't and I'm not? And what's so insidious about these narratives? What's so insidious about it is that they're true, aren't they? They're true. Because you did fail. We did fail. I did fail. So obviously I can't. And I heard the criticism. So obviously I don't. And, and I, I go through the struggle that other people don't have. So obviously I'm not. So what are we supposed to tell ourselves? And here's what I think is so fascinating. It's just so interesting to me. Is that 2,000 years ago, this first century follower of Jesus demonstrated for us how we're supposed to think about our struggle and our criticism and our failures. And how we're supposed to think about our I don'ts and I can'ts and I'm nots. How we're supposed to think about it. And now 2,000 years after him, it's what uh, cognitive researchers are saying, this is how you actually should think about these things. And this guy, Paul, doesn't get any credit for it. Like no notoriety, no fame, nobody acknowledges him whatsoever. You know, his grandchildren aren't getting any royalties from this. But it's what we've come to today to say like, you know what, he was actually right. So to give you a little bit of context about Paul... Paul, you know, after Jesus' resurrection uh, from the dead and he appears to his disciples, the Jesus movement just starts spreading like wildfire. And Paul was a Jew and he saw this Jesus movement as a threat to Judaism. So what he started doing was arresting and putting followers of Jesus in jail and actually approving to the killing of some of them. And so while he's doing this, Jesus appears to Paul. And so Paul, the opponent of Jesus, becomes Paul, the follower of Jesus. And he becomes this instrumental leader that spreads the Jesus movement around the Mediterranean world where he plants churches, communities of followers of Jesus just all around the Mediterranean rim. And then he writes letters to them eventually to encourage them and to guide them. And those letters that he wrote, many we have still in the New Testament portion of our Bible. We're going to look at one of those letters today that he wrote to a group of followers of Jesus living in a place called Philippi. Now, here's what was going on in Philippi when Paul wrote this letter. 
this church in Philippi was having this teaching kind of seep into the community of followers there. And the teaching was something called legalism. And legalism said that at the end of the day, God's pretty much just kind of ticked off with everybody. And so we have to do certain things to make him happy. There's ceremonies, rituals, practices that we have to abide by in order to keep God happy. And so Paul sees this infiltrating the church and he's like, no, 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 no. That's not what's going on here. That's not what God is seeking. That doesn't help anybody because Paul had come from that legalistic background. Paul's like, I've been there. I've done that. I have a t-shirt still from that. Like that is not the way. He's like, I know that's not the way because I did all those things and they don't create alignment with God. And the reason they don't create alignment with God, because as long as God's approval is something that we're living for, what's driving us underneath at the very core, what drives us, is fear. And as long as there's fear driving our desire for acceptance from God, as long as there's fear driving that, it undermines trust and never produces true alignment. And so Paul's saying, you know, all those things that I used to point to to say, this is what makes me acceptable to God, this is what makes me acceptable to God, acceptable to God. It's like all those things, I now consider those things barriers between me and Jesus and barriers between me and becoming like Jesus. Because God originally created us to be like him. We lost track of what God was like, became very unlike God. And so God became like us to show us what he's like in the person of Jesus. And he invites us to trust him and follow him that we might become like him. And Paul's like, you're, you're getting this whole idea of God wrong, that this isn't who God revealed himself to be, and Jesus. Just, you know, God didn't show up in the person of Jesus and say, hey, all the righteous people over here, all the righteous people, line up on me. Here's the standard for you to be accepted by me. Now show me what you can do. Right? That's not what Jesus came and did. Jesus came and said, the standard that you're trying to live up to, let's set it down here. You're all accepted already. Now line up and show me what you can't and what you don't and what you're not. Because I haven't come to evaluate you by who you have become. I've come to invite you into who you can become. I've come to heal and restore and make you whole. And this completely changed Paul's understanding of who God was and completely changed the way that Paul saw himself. So Paul, who was following Jesus and, and trying to become like Jesus, here's what Paul says about his effort to become like Jesus. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not, do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. I don't consider myself to have become like Jesus. I don't. I've tried and I've failed. And Paul could have hid behind, I don't. And he could have pointed to, I don't, as the reason that he couldn't. And he could have pointed to, I don't, as the reason that he could never. And I don't could have become the narrative that defined Paul's potential. And if he just stopped at, I don't, and he probably would have never. If he'd stopped at, I don't, his story probably would have ended much, much differently than it actually did. But Paul didn't stop at I don't. He adds one word onto this that completely changes the entire meaning of it. One word that if you incorporated this word 
into the, way that, into the way that you think about and talk about yourself would change everything. Here's what he says. He says, I do not yet. I do not yet consider myself to have hit, taken hold of it. Yet. Paul realizes is that when you are no longer living for acceptance, then life is no longer an evaluation of who you have become. When you're no longer living for acceptance, life is no longer an evaluation of who you have become. When you're living from acceptance, then life is an invitation to who you can become. When you're living from acceptance, life is an invitation to who you can become. I don't sees life as a point at which I've arrived. I don't yet sees life as a trajectory towards who I am becoming. And what Paul recognizes is that he can change his entire narrative from who he had become to who he was becoming. That God in the person of Jesus was inviting him in to a developmental process to become. And it changed his whole mindset. It changed his whole focus on life and it changed the way that he saw himself. So here's what he said. He said, so one thing I do, my whole mindset has changed. The way that I see myself, the way that I understand God, it's completely changed. So here's the one thing that I do. It's the one thing you do, Paul. Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. Can't looks backwards don't look backwards. I'm not as always looking over its shoulder, back at the failures, back at the criticism, back at the shortfalls and the challenges and the struggles. I can't, I don't, is always looking backwards. Paul says, I don't look backwards anymore. I forget about it. I'm not going to fixate on my failures. I'm not going to ruminate on the criticism. I don't look backwards anymore. Instead, instead, I strain toward what is ahead. I can't look backwards. I don't look backwards, but yet looks forwards. Yet learns from the failures, the criticism, the struggles, sees them all as data points, gleans what it can learn from them, and focuses forwards. Yet focuses not on who I have become, but who I am becoming. What's he focused on? I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on to become who God created me to be and to do the things that God created me to do. Paul is pressing on to fulfill the potential that God created him for that he can become who God created him to be in order that he can do the things that God created him to do. He recognizes that Jesus isn't asking him to prove something about who he has become. Jesus is inviting him into a developmental process to become someone that he can't be yet and to learn how to do things that he can't do yet. Listen. There's someone that God created you to be ultimately. There are things that God created you to do ultimately. It is the best version of you. It's the life that you long for, that deep down you desire. 
And God's inviting you into a developmental process to trust him, to follow him, to learn his word and his will and his ways and apply them to your life. In order that, you can become someone that you aren't yet. And to learn how to do things that you can't do yet. So God says, God says, stop saying. Put an end to the narrative of I can't and I, and I don't and I'm not. Stop putting a limit where God says, yet. You can't yet. You don't yet. You're not yet. Stop putting a limit where God says, yet. A couple years ago, I had an opportunity to take a class about primitive fire starting. And so if you haven't taken a class on primitive fire starting, I don't know what you're waiting for. Um, critical, critical life skill that you'll probably use every day of your life. Anyway, I found myself in this class uh, with about 20 or so other people, and we met in this pavilion, uh, sitting down in these chairs in this half circle in this pavilion, and waiting for the instructor to show up to teach us. And so we're waiting, we're waiting, and finally this guy comes who is a very other kind of person. He, he, he comes and, you know, bare feet, no shoes, just wearing deerskins, only deerskins, shaved head, big beard, not those things matter that much, but just giving you a full picture of who this guy was. He comes in, and he's just very other looking. And I kind of had this expectation that like, oh, like here's this, you know, close to the earth guy who's going to look down on the rest of us for our zippers, right? Like, <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm just waiting for the judgment from like close to the earth man to just rain down upon us. So he, he comes and he sits down on the ground. Everybody else is in chairs. He sits down on the ground. And this guy just exudes this compassion and this warmth, and this openness, this very other people who is, who is completely different from everybody else, just has like this compassion and this warmth that just, it just pulls everybody in. And you could see, you could watch like the, the crowd of people, they were all just kind of like this when he arrived, like who's this guy? To, as, as, as he started talking, everybody like leaned in, like the defenses came down, the guards came down, it's like, Holy cow, this is, this is fascinating. And I remember thinking, like, I bet this is what it was like when Jesus sat down and talked to crowds of people. Like these people who are very different from Jesus, they just dropped their guards, they dropped their defenses, and they just leaned in because they'd never met anybody like him. Anyway, this guy start, starts talking about fire and the importance of fire through the history of, of people and how fire has always brought people together for warmth and for food and created community. And people are just listening in, just listening to every word. And he says, has anybody ever tried to, you know, use primitive methods to start a fire before? And, you know, people, this boy, 10-year-old boy, raises his hand, not thinking he was going to be called on or anything like that. He kind of raises his hand. The guy says, yeah, you, how did that go? And you could just see, like, the boy's entire countenance just fell, just, just completely, like, imploded upon itself. And he's like, I failed. I failed every single time that I've tried. I failed. He's like, I'm a failure at it. And this teacher, without missing a beat, shoots back. And I'll never forget this. He looks him square in the eye. He says, you haven't failed. You just haven't been successful yet. Every failure gets you one step closer 
to success. And it just breathed life into this kid. You could just see him physically just inflate. Like he sits up straighter. His face changes. Why? Because his narrative had changed. He wasn't going to walk away looking at himself as a failure. He was going to walk away seeing himself as someone who is that many steps closer to success. And you could just see it on that kid's face. That kid was going to go home and he was going to light something on fire. <laughs> Yet, it says, it sees our failures as steps toward success. It took Thomas Edison 1,000 attempts to create a marketable light bulb. And when interviewed, the interviewer asked him, how did it feel to fail 1,000 times? To which Thomas Edison famously responded, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb is an invention with 1,000 steps. Right? I love it. It's just each failure was a step closer toward success, yet sees failure as steps toward success. I wonder how many of us are spending our lives looking over our shoulder backwards at failures, at criticism, at struggles. And we see each of those as a step back from who we ultimately want to become. That each failure is a step away from the parent that we think we should be. The leader that we think God is calling us to become. The person we feel like God created us to be. We see each failure as a step backwards. And God is inviting you this morning to change your narrative and see each of those failures as something that he intends you for you to learn from and glean from. Say, what can I take from this and apply forward? And see that failure as a step towards the parent God created you to be, towards the leader that God created you to be. Each failure is a step towards the person that God is calling you to be, a step towards success, a step towards a breakthrough, a step towards victory and becoming who God is calling you and has created you to become, who you just aren't yet. It's time to change our narrative, to change our narrative. Recently, educators at a school in New York stopped assigning the grade fail for students who, fail, who were unable to meet course requirements. They, they stopped giving them failing grades. They stopped getting Ds and Fs, which I know just makes us all roll our eyes. It's like one more example of everybody gets a trophy, right? And, and you can laugh at it all you want, but here was the outcome. What they found was that students who retook the class after having received the grade not yet is the grade that they gave them. Not failing, not yet. Students who retook the class after receiving the grade, not yet, outperformed students who retook the grade, retook the class after failing. Why is that? Because the students who walked back into the class having received the grade, not yet, didn't walk back into the class seeing themselves as math failures. They walked back into the class seeing themselves as people who hadn't figured it out yet. They didn't walk into the class seeing themselves as English failures. They walked back into the class as people who hadn't figured it out yet. Yet focuses us. It shifts our focus from who we have become to who we can become. It shifts our focus. 
those students didn't walk back in that class seeing their lives as a point at which they've arrived. They walked back in that class seeing their lives as a trajectory towards who they ha- can and could become. I wonder how many of us here this morning have areas or segments of our lives that we regularly give ourselves failing grades for. Parent, fail. Relationships, fail. Marriage, fail. Self-control, fail. Changing that habit, fail. Fail, 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 fail. What if you change the narrative? From a narrative that was just bringing shame and defeat and humiliation to a narrative that said, not yet. The narrative that God's inviting you into. Where your life is a process of development and growth and learning. It's not about who you have become, but who you are becoming. You would go back and look at those areas and say, maybe not yet, but I will. I will. I'm still in the process. Still learning to become the parent that God created me to be. Still growing towards becoming the leader that God is calling me to be. Still growing towards the self-discipline that God's calling me to have. Still moving and learning how to break that habit that I've been trying to break. It's not that I can't, I just can't yet. How changing that narrative changed the way you approached the things that God's calling you to do in your life. A couple weeks ago, I was listening to an interview with an author named Neil Pasricha, who, after having gone through a really, really difficult divorce and at the same time losing a close friend to suicide, he kind of came out of that and wrote this book that became a number one international bestseller called The Book of Awesome which is about how just small acts of gratitude can completely change our experience of life. And in the interview, the interviewer was asking him, how did you go from some of the most difficult circumstances you've ever been through and have the resilience to turn around and write this number one best-selling book about happiness? And Neil Pasricia said this. He said, I was raised by my mother who had immigrated to Canada from India, and when she got here, she completely started life all over. She didn't know anything. She didn't know anyone. It was a place that she'd never been to in her entire life. And he said he remembered that she just had this focus on life. Whenever she talked about something that she didn't know how to do, she would talk about it the same way. She'd say, I don't know how to do that yet. I don't know how to drive yet. I don't know how to ballroom dance yet. I don't know how to start and run a Canadian business yet. He said it implied this sense of hope and optimism that no matter what she faced or what she went to, she had this sense, she had this yet mindset that she could figure it out. He said it completely shaped who he was, his experience of life, and how he saw himself. That as a result of that, he confronted his own life and his own challenges and his own difficulties with this yet mindset, with the sense there's hope, there's optimism that I can figure this out. Yet opens the door of possibility. 
It opens the door of possibility. And I know some of you this morning, you're going through some of the most difficult seasons that life has to offer. And it's probably tempting you to craft a narrative in your head. I can't. I don't know how to do this. I'm not the kind of person who's cut out for this. And God's inviting you this morning to change that narrative and to look at that season, that challenge that you're going through again and say, I don't know how to do this yet. I don't know how to parent my children through this season yet. I don't know how I'm going to lead my organization through these changes yet. I don't know how I'm going to process what I've just lost yet. I don't know how I'm going to recover from this financially yet. I don't know how I'm going to find another job yet. Yet. Yet says, I might not know the next step right now. I might not know the next step yet, but I can figure it out. It says, I might not know what the answer is to this problem yet, but I can figure it out. I might not know how to process this yet, but I will get there and I will figure it out. Yet opens up the door of possibility. There's someone that God created you to be that you can't be yet. And there are things that God's calling you to do that you can't do yet. But he's inviting you in to a developmental process that's gonna take failure and criticism and struggle, but he's gonna take all of that. He's gonna develop you and teach you. He intends for you to learn from it as you grow towards the person you are becoming. Life is not about who you have become, but who you are becoming. I think so often we are harder on ourselves than God ever is on us. A parent never looks at their child who's learning how to walk and say, yep, can't walk. Right? Can't walk yet. But I know he will. Yet. Don't start any more thoughts or statements with I can't or I don't or I'm not that you don't finish with yet. It's a word we need to change. So stop putting a limit where God says, yet, because God's not finished with you yet. Will you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for just the magnitude of your grace and your love and your mercy and your patience with us. You are more patient with us than we'll ever be with ourselves. Father, help us to embrace the acceptance that you extend to us, that we would stop seeing ourselves and evaluating ourselves for who we have become, that we would accept your invitation to who we can become. And we ask it in Jesus' name. 
You know, here at FCF, we're always talking about uh, what's your next step in, in your spiritual journey. And I think for every single one of us, our next step as we leave here today is to step into our personal yet. Amen. It's life changing. Thank you so much, Thomas. Um, if you're here for the first time, we would love to meet you personally.